Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ethics in football, we dug ourselves a hole. Is it right or wrong to smash a player's skull? Hey, no easy answers, but there's one thing I know. Now it's time to play that banjo. Football's our favorite, but won't you please take note? We see it's got some problems, we're all in the same boat. Reckoning with football's past, I reckon you better paddle fast. Boys, I think I hear that banjo. Welcome to Banjo College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Paul, joined as always by my co-conspirators, Ross Mulcairn, Andrew Stevens, and Brian Scott Rippey. Folks, I'm also starting this early this week because the fellas love to interrupt me when we get rolling, so I figured I'd get ahead of that this week and uh, basically box them out. So while we wait for them to join, uh, you guys let me know, how does my voice sound? Is it good? Is it weird? Does it sound like me in real life? I kind of never listen to my own voice um, ever. I'm not sure I've ever listened to an episode of Banjo after we've released it, so let me know how y'all think I sound. Because I am terrified. What's up, Ross? How's it going, man? Oh, it's going pretty well. How about yourself? I can't complain. I can't complain. I got the whole intro out before you guys even uh, knew what was going on. Well, we were waiting for the link, and you didn't send it, so. Oh, that's too damn bad. Have you started sending it after the intro so that I don't create a cold open anymore? Oh, I just do the entire cold open by myself, and then I send the link. Like, as you know, I haven't even sent the link yet until just now. Mm, Well, good thing I opened up the app to come investigate. How's it going, man? How how have you been since last Tuesday? You know, things have been been pretty good. Went home to celebrate Mother's Day, which was always a very nice time. Lovely. Great holiday. We, we, We love to hear that. Yeah, what did you do for Mother's Day, KP? For Mother's Day, I was... I stayed in Austin um, because I had gone home the previous weekend as it was my sister's birthday. So um, between Bree's birthday and uh, Mother's Day on the horizon, we basically just did both in the same weekend for all intents and purposes. So not that I was off the hook on Sunday, um, but, you know, I I showed face for Mother's Day. And um, I was a good son, as I always am. Surprised my sister. And, uh, yeah, it was nice. Am I allowed to speak now? You are allowed to speak, Andrew. Only if you tell us how you celebrated Mother's Day. Ooh, my mother got a text. And then next day she got a phone call. Because I was not in the same state as her. But... You call... You call... Okay. (laughs) Where's your mom? Well, she was in... She was in Louisiana. I was... I was in New York. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that. So, uh, but she is not one to care about Mother's Day, so I don't even know oh. if they did anything. So, well, that, complete, well, that, completely off the hook. Well, that must be nice, um, because mine certainly does. <laughs> yeah, KP, you got to make that drive. I, I made the drive for Bree's birthday, and we just did both that same weekend. There's no way I was, um, there's no, I was driving in my room two weekends in a row. I've never done that in my life. Uh, <laughs> since I left for college, and I won't be anytime soon. Yeah, I wouldn't advise it. Oh man! So, um, fellas, there's a. As we know, we're still in that dead period between spring football slash the draft and media days. 
Um, but there is a, a bit of college football news that I didn't mention I wanted to talk about. Um, as we know, a- Andrew loves to give his bastardized takes on who he thinks the best college football quarterbacks of all time are, could have been, um, or would have been, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm However, right. No, you're not. I think we can all agree that uh, Mr. Timothy Jedediah Tebow is at least somewhere in the top five or six all time. Based on numbers, impact, that, all is that. that actually his, is that actually his name? No, it's probably like Jason or some shit like that, man. I, I don't a, know. I, I don't know. I was, wasn't he born in the fucking Philippines? Yeah, but then his middle name would not be Jedediah. Oh, well, I don't he know. He was born in the Philippines to like American missionaries. He, he yeah, wasn't. I, well, no, no, that's He's not like of <laughs> Filipino descent. I understand that. I'm saying he was born. He was born in the Philippines to missionaries, meaning these are religious hoots. And so I would have uh, not been shocked if Jedediah would have been his middle name. His right, middle name well, is, should be his middle name. It is Richard. It's, it's Dick. Richard. It's Dick. Tim Dick Tebow. Yeah, that's what they Man. call him. But um, as we know, our favorite. Um, Favorite's a strong word. Um, Coach Urban Meyer, who, as we know, coached Tebow at Florida um, and had um, a career at Ohio State after that, is now the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Tim Tebow was apparently trying to make an NFL comeback and is trying his hand at tight end, a position he has never played at least since high school, Um, if not further than that. uh, He's trying to play it after – Six years out of the NFL, nine years from playing his last regular season game. Um, in a position he's never played at the age of 33. Um, is this the worst idea? Any- oh, and Tim Tebow's already rich, by the way. So is this the worst idea any of you have ever heard? I just I, I just don't understand. Like, the problem is, well, it's one of two things, is he either has the, like, the world's most cancerous ego, which that is very possible or, (laughs) or which here's something that I don't think people have like really given all that much thought. I think he could just be really stupid. Like I I, I just don't like, I just feel like people haven't just been like, what if Tim Tebow is just a dumb guy? Like everyone has always given him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, like, I, I don't think anyone is uh, typically want to, like, call the winning white quarterback stupid. But I, I just think Tim Tebow is a dumb guy, and they let him talk a lot. And this is what happens when you're, like, told that you're good this much is you try to play tight end for the in Jacksonville at age 33. I, I will say, in defense of this not being the worst idea of all time, um, Tim Tebow attempting to play baseball, I think, is a worse idea than this. Yeah, well, uh, the thing, baseball's not as baseball physically is hard. <laughs> it, baseball's hard as hell, but it's not. It it didn't put the toll on Tim Tebow's body that playing tight end in the NFL will. Also, also, it it isn't like being in the minors definitely sucks. And, and, but like one of the largest parts is like you're making shit money. If you're rich in the minors, it's not like that crazy to be like in buses and like sleeping in like motel like that the 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 rigors of a minor league schedule are nothing like getting hit by Vontez perfect yeah just like uh, ross playing in the minors is obviously it sucks as we've discussed on previous episodes but man you don't have to worry about getting hit by dante hightower playing minor league baseball yeah, but he's Tim Tebow has of all other qualities always been big and strong. You know, he may be dumb. He met his throwing motion may take an hour to get the ball out, but you know, like I, I would not be surprised if they sign him as a tight end, put him as an H back a couple times, and like he survives. I don't think he like I don't think he's gonna be good, but like it's dumb of him to do it because he's gonna get hit and he's not gonna get paid enough and he has enough money to avoid ever getting hit like that. But I think there's a higher chance of success in this than there was in his attempt to play baseball. And I think in his mind, he has this ego that he needs to succeed. So that's why I think while for the rest of us, 
who, you know, would be more than happy to just be like, we have the money and we're going to not get hit. This is dumber than playing baseball. But for him, I think playing baseball was dumber. See, I don't necessarily uh, like I guess when I say it's dumb, yeah, it is talking on that. The the like, well, just do you do you, like I, I would delete every social media. It, if if I had twenty five million dollars, I would delete everything. You would never hear from me again. It would be the greatest thing of all time. And that is the route Tim Tebow should take. But in terms of like, I, I guess I'm not necessarily questioning like the efficacy. And I reasonably trust Urban Meyer from uh, strictly a football perspective. And I think we've seen that like, yeah, it, you, you can create an offense or you can just create headaches for other teams if you're willing to like put somebody back there that could cause them to have to dedicate four hours of a day of practice to fucking figuring out if Tim Tebow is going to be able to throw the ball. Well, you, you know he won't be able to throw. If Tebow's on the field, I'm, I'm not changing anything about my current defense. I'm, I'm literally just leaving him by himself. He still hasn't played in a regular season game since 2012. Ross, you were in high school in 2012. Andrew, we were freshmen in college. Imagine how long ago that was. That was a different lifetime. <laughs> it, I, when us. I think back to watching <laughs> the Tim Tebow Broncos, it's, it's very strange to think about how long ago that was. It, yeah, well, it, it, I mean, his last year, his last year as a starter, his last year as a starter was 2011. The Broncos cut him because they signed Kate Manning, and then he went to the Jets and couldn't beat out Mark Sanchez in 2012, and he never played a regular season game again. Mm-hmm. See, Mark Sanchez, who then went to the Broncos and got beat out by Trevor Simeon, the best Broncos quarterback since Peyton Manning. It, exactly. See, Mar- so Mar- Trevor Mar- Simeon's Sanchez. better than Tim Tebow, Mar- and that's Sanchez. not a. <laughs> Like, I stand by that. He's a guy you haven't heard from in six years. He's doing it right. I think Mark Sanchez is still on NFL rosters. No, no, no. He's like way. he's like on TV for like I think like five. He's like when they can't get Matt Liner, he's like the Pac-12 guy for whatever. He's the USC guy for whatever pregame show that is. This is something that I, I I probably should know, but I'm gonna ask y'all. Wh- what is the standard? What's the standard TV job pay right now? Well, what's like, what the... is what is the analyst like? In ter- sorry, I, I guess in that context, like what is the like? Definitely not your full time job, but you have to make like enough appearance, like a liner or Mark Sanchez or or uh, fucking. Who was Urban the Meyer note? before he got the coach of the Jaguars? Yeah, or who was the quarterback, uh, uh, Brady Quinn, or something like that? I, it depends on, A, like your stature, because I'm pretty sure Mark Sanchez was getting paid less than Urban. Like, Urban Meyer won three national championships as a coach. And Mark Sanchez is just like, he had one year to start at USC and just uh, he's more famous for just like running into somebody's ass than anything else. So that has a lot to do with it. I think um, like I, I doubt Herb Street and Desmond Howard are getting paid the same for multiple reasons. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, Those dudes are also but, making way more. Than oh no, no, no! Tebow I mean, or Mark Sanchez. Or I, was like about to, I was about to say Kirk Herb Street is probably making five to seven million dollars a year. Without yeah, question. but, but, but I, I, I'm saying I'm saying like Mark, like you could reasonably tell me that like Mark Sanchez, they pay him one hundred fifty thousand dollars like to do that. Like that I, I feels way too low. If you're like front facing on a major network like that on a popular show, it's got to be more than one hundred fifty K, man. Well, you gotta make more. How often he, he does it. If he's only you got to make more than like 12 make, times. If he's on 12 days, it's hard to pay him more than that. Oh, but they uh, have like their own network. Like, is he on the Pac-12 network a lot? Like, that's that, are we counting back in the salary? <laughs> okay, here's a, okay, okay, okay. I got a piece of I got a I got a piece of trivia uh, closest to. Um, what do you think Simon Cowell is worth? Since we're talking network TV money, thirty-five mil, eighty-seven mil, six hundred million dollars. Simon Cowell is worth. Si- Look it up. Yeah, I believe that. Simon Cowell is worth si- 0.6 billion. Simon Cowell is worth 0.6 billion dollars. Doesn't he also like a produce? Like, wasn't he the guy who like put together One Direction? So he's probably got a lot of like One Direction album money. 
yeah, did that, not know that. Oh yeah, he. I mean, I'm they were sure on those um, guys like were all individual artists who like went on Britain's Got Talent or something like that. And he was like, no, no, I'm gonna make a boy band out of these guys. Yeah, that's how a lot of these like people in the music industry. That's where the real money comes from. Like, obviously, Usher made a ton of music, ton of money from his own music. But I mean, he's basically the guy who gave us Bieber, for all intents and purposes. And like, oh, he's, yeah, got, he's a, got a ton of Bieber money. He's got at least twenty to thirty mil, I'd say, you know, from his net worth is just based on bringing us Justin Bieber. That's, oh my God, there is something that uh, I can't imagine wanting to do less. Scouting then, child talent. Look, but you, you just got to hit once, though, man. That's the thing. And Simon Cowell basically hit five times. <laughs> and his and I'm situation. sure it wasn't the first time he's done it. He's probably got a hand in, like, plenty of – he probably made some money on, um, like, any Susan Boyle record. I mean, he was on American Idol. He didn't just, like, like – he was – at least in the music industry, it was before that. Like Paula Abdul was like, it was her and Janet Jackson in that era. It was like just like them two, and that was it. Um, Randy Jackson is just like one of the most famous producers ever, and for Simon, it's the same thing. So it's like <laughs> Simon's net worth before and after American Idol. I guess like the year before American Idol aired versus now. I'd love to see those numbers because six hundred million is just absurd. Um, well, if you're tying in Will Ferrell. Uh... You've got uh you've got Randy Jackson right there. It's like, folks, I have been, you know, on a bunch of different apps, Twitter included, browsing for college football news, obviously. And I've neglected to uh introduce our fourth horseman of the apocalypse, Brian Scott Rippey. Rip, what's going on, fam? Not much. I was listening to y'all for a minute or two there, and boy, what a small world, because I don't know dick about pop culture, like to the point where it's <laughs> embarrassing. But for whatever reason, my girlfriend was riding around with me there. They were playing golf, and we got on the subject of Simon Cowell, and she told me the story of the uh, whatever that British show is where she he sought out all three of those dudes from One Direction. I think she was trying to tell me something about Harry Styles. It was like, yeah, Simon Cowell made One Direction. So the $600 million market was not surprising to me, but it might have been four days ago. That is uh, – I mean – I can't imagine if just like what if recruiting had higher stakes and was worse. And I imagine Simon Cowell's maybe a little bit smarter than the average SEC football coach. I mean, these guys are like fucking gym teachers at heart. Um, so, <laughs> the gym like, teachers got lucky. Yeah, I mean, like what? It, like Hugh Freeze probably wouldn't be a great insurance salesman, but like if you. I, I feel like if you got like if Simon really like really let it go and like had his hair hanging down in the front and got real real sweaty and fat, you could pull off a Will Muschamp look. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to do with that. I'm just gonna apologize for my tardiness. I was recording a podcast with my horse guy, and uh, the Preakness his Preakness preview just got out of control. Uh, talk about getting sweaty. I almost got sweaty just listening to it, but now we're here. So, so in the Preakness, Rip. Well, I spent four. I spent the first thirty minutes of the horse preview. So I basically grilled Greg uh, for meat uh, about meats for about half an hour, and then we spend the other half an hour because he's big into horse racing. He's actually going to a Preakness horse sale the day after in Baltimore. But uh, so I asked him like twenty dumb questions about this, uh, about how uh, Medina Spirit has been canceled. Uh, and that cancel culture spares no one. And so what does a horse do when it's canceled? Uh, so I asked him about that, and I asked him how valid the excuse was that some guy that drank cough syrup took a piss on the hay that the horse ate, and he uh, he seemed to think that was less than valid, shockingly. Is Dirty Sprite uh, no. a, P- a PED in the no, horse it, world? Yes. <laughs> That's a huge bummer. He yeah, also told little... me – he also told me that the horses, uh, that shockingly, race horses don't actually eat the normal hay on the ground in their stalls. So that's hole one in the theory. Uh, and then hole two in the theory was that Bob Baffert has eight previous offenses, and this was the excuse he came up with for number nine. I thought he had like 35 previous offenses. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not great. It's not great. The old less miles treatment. <laughs> Dear God. Uh, Les Miles. Remember when we thought he was going to be the next Corso? 
Oh, oh, buddy. Yeah, I do he, remember that conversation. Can you imagine he, if, like, let's say, because it was it was in 2016. It was like, of course, it was like 25th year or whatever. It was just you know a, a milestone. It was awesome, and they had that touching tribute to Corso. And Les Miles got fired that same exact year. It just made complete sense. Like, all right, cool. Like, they're going to announce Corso's retirement. Les Miles is going to take over, and it'll be smooth sailing. And then the Corso is just still on game day, and Les Miles is, like, permanently blackballed from the sport. Yeah, I don't think the Mad Hatter is coming to the uh, the game day set anytime the, the, soon. He's not coming to the worldwide leader. Well, there was, there was a, like – there was a year where Corso just looked like he had totally lost it, and then they got him on the correct cocktail of drugs after that, and I feel like he's kind of put it together for the last two or three seasons. It's the same thing they gave Trump after he had COVID. That's <laughs> Yeah. It might be the same thing that Medina Spirit I absorbed through <laughs> osmosis via piss. Just get him, get him real going. <laughs> Bob Baffert is Lee Corso's new trainer. What a what a one eighty though for uh, Les Miles though, because like he thought he was just this innocent guy that ate grass, and then all of a sudden it's like actually this guy's a maniac. What a so like when is like you know I I, I covered a, a half decade long NCA investigation, which is probably one of the least fun parts of my entire uh, very short journalistic career, and you kept hearing over and over again that the hammer was coming for Ole Miss because some kids slept on some couches and the guy was screwing hookers in charge of the thing. When is the quote unquote hammer coming down on the entire city of Baton Rouge? How's that going to work? Because Palmineri has the shittiest baseball team of all time. But if someone tried to fire him, what's that guy's name, Woodward? If he tried to fire Palmineri, if I was Paul, I'd just be like, actually, no, you're not. And I'm going to go back to work now. My uh, rap sheet's clean. <laughs> it's like, because I, I think of all the stuff that's happened with LSU, obviously the the two things that people have just like forgotten kind of are the Darius guys just like repeat. I, I, many members of the football team, but I think that was the highest profile. And also the most consistent um, sexual assault allegations, and also the embezzling money from a children's hospital to pay Vidal Alexander's dad money. Like, I, I and I think Andrew, like, he kind of paid attention to college football at this point. Vidal Alexander was a fine college football player, but that's like paying your third best lineman $180,000 by embezzling money from a children's hospital. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he was – I mean, he, was he even ever like an all-SEC player? This he was maybe, might have, might have maybe been second a, or third team Maybe once. a sixth round. He, it's it's not like, you know, paying like Panay Sewell's family or a guy like uh, like when Joe when, um, Joe Thomas was coming out of Wisconsin. Like, no, this is just like a decent college football lineman. And they, and they stole from a hospital to pay his family. And we would like to go on record as pro-paying five stars from hospital funds. <laughs> Not mid, Only no. embezzle for five stars. That mm-hmm. is an ethos of Banjo College football. It's the Barry Switzer special. He would call that a core value. We need that new church money, baby. Man. Yeah, and that's, that's what I love about you know the Cecil Newton thing. It was like, hey. My church needs one hundred eighty thousand dollars. You can give it to me. Um, I guarantee my son will come to Auburn. I'm sure Auburn was like, "That's it." Like that's I, I, that's all we got. I mean, we have that just like in the in the couch, <laughs> and they wouldn't did it. Is that well, what football poor? They, they allegedly did it. KP, it's an uh, ongoing it's an on- investigation. It's an ongoing investigation. Didn't they actually find him guilty and they suspended Cam Newton for like? four hours, and then they came back later and were like, oh, by the way, never mind. I thought they just suspended his dad. His dad got, like, the brunt of the punishment, if I'm not mistaken, right? It was like he couldn't attend games anymore or some shit. Oh, that's a deal you take every time if you're Auburn. <laughs> I would probably say so, because the dad doesn't play quarterback. <laughs> How wild would that be if we start doing that? We just start, sp- like, nope, his girlfriend's suspended for the first half. He's going to be emotionally traumatized. He might not play as well. <laughs> I do remember as a non-SEC fan in 2010 thinking that like his dad was really actually like the problem and that like 
that I don't know if this was, you know, me just misreading the reports and whatnot at the time, but I remember being like, yeah, it probably seems smart that they like got this guy out of there. I know I'm preaching. Like he's, he seems like the guy who probably, like, I don't know how much suspending his dad actually hurts the team, but they should definitely, you know, make sure that guy's no longer in the room. I know I'm preaching to the choir here and I'm like probably uh, chastising of like a very, very small irrational minority, but like guy on the internet, who claims that certain schools don't have to cheat and not every school that pays players. And by guy, I mean Colin Cowherd who pretends to keep up with college football. If dudes like that Alexander kid and Leo Lewis are going for, you know, high five, low six figures, like what do you mean not every – like how do you rationalize that one? Have you ever heard of anything (laughs) Leo Lewis did on the field? Like how does that work? So if your theory is that not every school is to cheat, but they're embezzling money for a children's hospital to a guy you would have never otherwise heard of, and then Leo Lewis's greatest deal was meeting – like his greatest career moment at State was meeting in a Walmart parking lot as a recruit to meet old Mrs. Uh, Hugh Freeze's right-hand man. Like what do you think's happening with the guys that are actually like making tackles and shit? I'm just curious. Wasn't Leo Lewis like a top recruit though who just like kind of didn't pan out? Oh, he absolutely was, but like I guess that's a fair point. But at the same, he was a high four star. I don't think he was a five star kid. But like at the same time, like the hit rate on these kids isn't even that high. So like, what do you think the kids that were like because Leo Lewis was highly rated, but he was no slam dunk prospect? Like, what do you think the slam dunk prospects are going for? See, for what? And again, I, I'm so well. If they're going to the University of Michigan, they're going for honor and academics. That's what they're going for. Michigan men. And I'm so far exactly. away from this actual world, but from from what I assume, guys like Leo Lewis, they're really good, but it's like, okay, hey, but they're not like the top, top, top flight type of prospects. So for guys like Leo Lewis, you don't really expend that much effort. It's like, hey, guy, um, you know, here's $80,000, take it or leave it, whatever. Um, but for the top, top prospects, I feel like it's more so – all right, cool. Yeah. We're gonna funnel. We're gonna funnel money through three different channels to your uncle who lives two states away, um, so so but he can repair. So he can repair his house. Like, wink, wink. It's more like that for the main top guys. It's less traceable. Well, and for the top guys too, there's also like this promise that like a lot of that stuff is going to continue. Like there will be like cash, but there will also be like help to family members sort of like potentially like a house or like a job somewhere or like, um, and and then like you, they have cars and then you can end up with a lot of them where like there is this wink, wink, like as long as things keep going well, like we will continue to take care of you like outside of this, like first payment too. So uh, you're, I mean, Leo Lewis is probably a hundred, to, in between 75 and 150th best player in the country, probably. And it was, yeah, a couple, I don't know, 60, 70 grand. And, yeah, and taking and it from two schools to, is pretty baller. But, yeah, like, it's it's not just the payment, you know, not to speak ill of the beloved alma mater. But, you know, AL.com just put out an awesome documentary series, as they do every year, uh, about players going to the NFL draft and as they prepare for it. And this year is Najee Harris. And I encourage anybody to watch it if they haven't. It's on YouTube, and it's he's an electric uh, personality. Like, he's just an amazing guy to watch. It also includes a top-tier Marshawn Lynch interview, I think, in episode three. But early on, in episode one or two, as they were talking about his recruitment, there was a bit where they're interviewing Najee Harris's mom. And she's talking about how, like, she decides to move when Najee goes to Alabama and, you know, his whole deal was that he was at the, you know, Army All-American game and he had a ticket to go home. He had a ticket to Michigan and he had a ticket to Alabama. And it was just which plane is he going to get on? And he got on the plane to Alabama and he was spotted at Birmingham Airport with Tua. But like he called, he like his mom didn't know. And she's like, oh, you know, like she's like, Najee, like I need to get a job. And she was like, luckily, you know, I found one right afterwards. And it's like, yeah, that's probably pretty lucky. But I'm also like. There's no way that your boss doesn't know that, you know, the number one recruit in the country is your son who just signed it out. Look, I'm sure, not sure, I would not be surprised if, you know, somebody was like, oh, this guy wants his mom to come with him wherever he goes. She needs a job to be able to move. If it's going to help him come to this school, he doesn't even have to talk to the school. He can just look her up and be like, 
hey, do you want to come work at my accounting firm or something? All of that is part of it. Yeah, it's obviously like, oh, well, your family and friends can't receive benefits because of your status. It's literally impossible. That's that's, that's never going to be fully enforced. So like, yeah, hey, I got a job because of who my son is. He didn't help me get the job, but my son's fucking Najee Harris. I don't have any job within, you know, a 50-mile radius of Tuscaloosa if I want it. (laughs) And it's also like, um, how is that different than any other goddamn job on Earthworks? Like, oh, you, oh, she knew somebody who had an opportunity. Oh, my God. Like, I like it's just crazy that that is deemed like an impermissible benefit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. A, a, a job, a salary job. That's Yes. Like, I'm, sure was, I'm sure the job wasn't even like breaking the bank. Now, if you just get like, you know, a, a desk job that's not even like, you know, business facing, it's like you're a receptionist or whatever. It's like, okay, they're paying the receptionist $200,000 a year. That's a little odd. But, but no, if you're just working accounts receivable for like a Centos branch or whatever, it's like, you know, they're going to pay you a regular salary and that'll be that. You got the job because of Najee, but it's not like, you know, crazy. You're not really cheating yeah, anyone. We, we, we at Banjo College Football would never accuse anybody of not being qualified for a job they took unless they were a football coach and they are related to another football coach, in which case they are probably not qualified for the job that they were offered. But Correct. like, I, I believe, you know, people aren't, calling up these, you know, I'm sure there are some, you know, $200,000 receptionists out there, but I, I think it's just as simple as even if you didn't even, the school didn't even know about it. If you say, I'm looking for a job because my kid is moving here and they're like, oh, why is your kid moving here? And it's like, oh, he's going to play for the title. Like do the same thing in Baton Rouge. My kid is coming to play for LSU and you know, I want to be close to him. Like that person's even like, if you're qualified, you're going to get that job over the other person for that simple thing. And if the NCAA were to technically find out about that, it would technically be an impermissible benefit. But it's the exact same thing as you got the job because the manager of your company goes golfing with your uncle. It's the exact same thing. I mean, exactly. I think that's also a really cool aspect of recruiting going national because like in you know the year, let's say this is, not even the 80s. Let's say this is like 2002. There's no way that Tua ends up at Alabama, right? He, he ends up at USC 10 times out of 10. Um, and this is like the early, the early odds. But he ends up at Alabama, and his younger brother plays at Thompson High School for two years and wins the state title, and it's great. And like, yeah, they've left, and, you know, Talia is now balling at Maryland. But it's like, hey, man, now this family from Hawaii just randomly has real roots in Alabama. And that's kind of cool, you know? Like, I'm sure they never expected that ever. But, yeah, now they're just – they have roots over the mountain in the greater Birmingham area. And that's, like, really interesting. It's weird. It's random. It doesn't make a ton of sense. So it's – in essence, it is college football. Yeah, but it, it probably helped in 2002 that USC was actually good. So, you know. True. Yeah. Shout out Pete. They beat Auburn that year. So, you know, shout out Pete Carroll for that. Although, our, our resident, of... our resident 9 11 denier, Pete Carroll. 
inventor that, of that the gravity bong, Pete Carroll. That he does. But speaking of people who are being recruited in 2002, we should not take this chance to pass up, you know, the the probably the much bigger news than Tim Tebow signing with the Jaguars, which was that, you know, all-time fun college football hero and legitimately good quarterback Colt Brennan unfortunately passed away today, which is is just devastating for, you know, everybody who watched college football in the mid 2000s. You know, he was the the guy that everybody stayed up late for. Um, mm-hmm. you know, those Hawaii teams were awesome. I know I know everybody on this podcast is the type to, you know, at least in once in our lives has stayed up late for the the Pac-12 after dark and the late night games and that really started with those those really good Hawaii teams in uh, the mid 2000s and kept that that energy going. So, yeah, you talk about transcendent like that word gets thrown around and overused often, but you talk about like the late night college football and kind of like the mid major that throws the football around the ton. Like, you know, I don't remember what year that Boise State game was with the whole Oklahoma thing and Adrian Peterson, but like around that time or slightly before that, it was the Hawaii Colt Brennan deal, right? Like he kind of transcended that whole late night window. Like I remember as a kid knowing exactly who Colt Brennan was and how badass was it to play with him on NCAA football. It was a ton of fun. Yeah, he's he was really like a real gunslinger, and that term gets thrown around a lot just by any like team that throws the ball a lot. But no, just his throwing motion, it was so cool. Just like, you know, if you – and at that age, it's either like you're staying up until 3.30 – a.m. on Sunday every Saturday night or you're just like immediately crashing when you get home but on the nights where you stayed up you would just watch Cole Brennan with that weird side throwing motion it's like this guy just throwing bombs 40 yards downfield with what looks like no effort and it was just cool you know that that Boise State game was 06 rep and that um that undefeated Hawaii team was in 07 and I remember that Hawaii team was so good and Cole Brennan was so good that when the season started, that game was supposed to just be at like that 11 or 10.30 or whatever window. They flexed it up to like 6.30 p.m. Central Time. So it was like basically like a nooner in Hawaii or whatever it was, just so the whole country could watch Cole Brennan. And Hawaii beat them by 12. Just straight up beat them. It was, Wasn't it was the game really you threw cool. for like 500 yards and five touchdowns? Yeah, it was insane. It, it basically was like, you know, his Heisman moment. And if, you know, the media hadn't decided they would give it to Tim Tebow in week three. Like, Cole Brennan probably actually deserved the Heisman that year because I'm not sure anyone played better than he did start to finish. No, yeah, well, you know what? Well, I'm Heisman looking it up right most. now. This is what's the annoying part. Uh, Troy Smith, who's maybe one of the most undeserved Heisman winners of all time. Uh, won he deserved it. it. That was a bad year. He, that was just a bad year for it. Well, Colt Brennan, Colt Brennan, seventy-three percent completion percentage, fifty-five hundred yards, fifty-eight touchdowns, and twelve interceptions. He did that in 06? because oh seven was the because unde- oh seven yeah. was the undefeated year. Holy shit! Yeah, this guy- <laughs> did, yeah they they one thousand percent should have given it, and they went eleven and three. Yeah, oh six at- was the year that um, I saw this on Twitter. I think it was Spencer Hall who tweeted it out. His like game chart from 2006, one of which included a game that he completed 18 passes for 413 yards, which just rules. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He he threw for less than 300 yards one time and he threw for it was 296. There's also like two occasions where he was in street clothes by halftime. I don't know, there was a popular graphic making around making its way around the internet sphere today to where Colt Brennan, they were playing someone. I want to say it was like Fresno State or somebody, but he was like 24 38 for 460 and six touchdowns. And then it's a camera panning to him at the start of the third quarter in a t shirt and sweats, just like pumping up the crowd. He did it in a half. <laughs> yeah. like a, that's, that's real uh, Devontae over Ohio State in the first half of the national championship. Not to bring this back to Alabama, but I did. Um, when, you know, you look at his lines and that it's, what was it, three touchdowns, 212 yards, and it's like, oh, man, what a great national championship game. And it's like, oh, yeah, he also, like, broke his finger on the first play of the third quarter. He did that in a half. Where he, where he also rec- got a catch for, like, a first down when he broke his finger. Cole Brennan also had 15 rushing touchdowns in his career, which I would have not guessed. That's yeah, I was good. watching some Colt Brennan highlights again today, and he, he, he had some scoot to him. 
which uh, not a ton of it, but I, I hadn't heard about that because he was a guy who I remember looking up because um, he's one of the guys that I, I really feel a sadness about because my college football fandom, as as I'm unfortunately, you know, was not blessed to grow up in the southern United States like you three. I, I really came to it much later in life and not later in life. That's ridiculous because I was still a child. But like 2008 is the first year that I like have distinct college football memories. And I've, and I, when I looked back, I remember, you know, I'd play NCAA games and you go and you break every single record in the NCAA rule book when you play NCAA, if you know what you're doing. And I would always look and it'd be like, you know, Hawaii QB owns every single record. And I was like, how the hell does a, Kauai, a Hawaii QB own all of these records? And I went back and I looked it up. Like, oh, this is incredible. Like, I love watching these. I'm so, like, I don't know how I missed this. Um, that was, and that was really like us finding his career ended in 07, which, which was the last year that I didn't, you know, passively watch college football. That was like the year that we figured out uh, who Ty Detmer was. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we all went through the same thing. We were like, who that, there's just simply there's simply no way that uh this man that went to BYU owns every single passing record i think the, one of the funnier things was the old like you you got to replay the end of like classic games or whatever and it was like what the fuck is BYU like like number 2 or 3 in the country and then you find out later on, oh, Ty Dabber was like the baddest dude in college football for three seasons. <laughs> dude, immense Brett Favre vibes. Immense Brett. I think I think he threw for I think he threw for forty eight touchdowns or forty one touchdowns and twenty eight picks one season. That's incredible. That's a that's just, that's that's beyond reckless. That's dude, a real so, NCAA. Uh, he threw. That he line. threw he threw sixty five interceptions in college. That's just oh yeah. yes yes. That's always the thing that's that's always the thing that's missing. Whenever someone you know is like he's putting up video game numbers out there, it's like none of us are getting through a game. You know we're gonna throw for six hundred yards and six touchdowns, but we're also gonna throw four interceptions when you're playing NCAA, and that is what you really want. That's the true you know that's the ceiling. That's the epitome of quality, in my opinion. Ross, you, you did bring up a good point earlier, or at least an interesting topic. You know, what got you into college football? And I think we all have different stories. Just we all grew up rooting for different teams, um, starting at different times. But basically, for for all of you, I want to I want to know where and how was like was your moment where you realized like, okay, I'm stuck with the sport forever. Like, let's rock. Well, I have. I know I have a specific one. The one I, the reason I know, um, you know, that like 2008 was um, the year that I first got into um, college football was because the Barack Obama, besides <laughs> Barack Obama, who I do remember going on game day as when he was a candidate and saying playoffs in college football was what he wanted to change about the sport. Um, Although that might have been when he was running for re-election in 2012. But anyways, the thing that I remember very distinctly was um, the Michael Crabtree catch against Texas. I did not care about Texas or Texas Tech, but I remember watching that game towards the end, and I was like, this game is really intense. This is super cool. I'm all in on Texas Tech. You know, this Graham Harrell guy is going to be great in the NFL. And I remember watching that catch at the end of the game, and I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen this sport is incredible. I've never seen anything like this in the NFL. And I was just kind of hooked from there. Now I hadn't sold myself on weekends yet. Cause I was like doing shit cause I was in middle school. So I got really into like the Mac cause I would always watch on weekdays. So I had really strong opinions on like which Mac quarterback should be like the future in the NFL. I still believe in Dan LaFever without question. Um, I believe his name was Nate Davis, who was the Ball State quarterback when they had the really hot year in like '09, I think. Um, who I remember, he used to, he like thought that his hands were so strong that he wouldn't grip the ball at the laces. Like he just wanted to get the ball out as quick as possible. So however he caught it on the snap, he wouldn't move the ball around in his hand to catch the laces. He would just throw it from wherever, however he caught it. 
And that I remember as my very fun early college football fact. But yeah, I was, it was the, the Michael Crabtree catch and then late 2000s Mac football was somehow got me into this, this wild and crazy sport that, you know, once I went to Alabama, I was, I was booked in for, you know, feverish fandom. That's kind of a really cool, like, first real CFB moment as a fan, right? Because that's one of the all-time plays. And you actually look at the play itself, it's like, ah, damn, that Texas guy probably just should have made the fucking tackle. Um, but <laughs> but it's, um, it's just really cool in the annals of college football because Tech was still undefeated at that point. Like, Texas Tech went into Norman, Oklahoma on, like, November 20th, undefeated ranked number two in the country. And then, yeah, they got run by 44. But that was, like, a re- that was almost a real changing of the guard moment. And that's, like, your CFB intro, Ross. That's pretty cool, yeah, man. Yeah, and it's, it's nice because it's one of the things that, like, I remember a lot of this, you know, the weird Mac shit that no one else remembers. But the thing that sticks out, as, as I thought it was really cool, I looked back on later and I was like, oh no, everyone else remembers this as like a defining college football moment that like stuck out to everybody else. So I can always just say, oh, the Michael Crabtree catch against Texas and everybody knows what I'm talking about. Not, right. you know, that time I watched that one Central Michigan game. Although those were good too. For for me, it was, and this is probably going to be a lot more niche than y'all's, but my, um, so I, as y'all know, you know, both my parents went to Southern University, my dad played at Southern University and for a long time, we tailgated every game. We went to every game. and But, you know, you're growing up. You don't really know football that well. It's like, look, I'm, I'm six, man. Like, yeah, I go to every game. But I don't know what the fuck's going on. Like, <laughs> I just ask my parents if we won or not. Like, like that's it. But um, in 2003, it was the season opener. And I think they were playing Prairie View um, in Shreveport. I have no idea why the game was in Shreveport because Shreveport's not necessarily close to Houston or Baton Rouge. Um, but it was. Um, and, you know, we went up, you know, fun weekend, um, parents going to casinos, it is what it is. Um, and I just remember it was like the first year where I went in where I kind of like understood the rules of football and, uh, guy named Ezra Landry took the opening kickoff back a hundred something yards for a touchdown first play of the season. And I was hooked then. And then Southern went on to go like 13 and one and won the swag and the black college national championship. It was also the same season that LSU won the BCS National Championship against Oklahoma. So really fun time to be a football fan in Baton Rouge. And it, look, if, if you weren't a college football fan in that city before that year, um, if that didn't turn you into one, you just there's just no hope for you. You just weren't going to be one. Uh, that's really just my moment. Ezra Landry just taking that opener back 100 yards and just suddenly beat the shit out of everybody that season. I guess I'll uh, I'll piggyback as the other Baton Rouge folk. Um, yeah, the 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 I I do feel bad if you didn't get if you didn't get into college football in two thousand by two thousand and three in Baton Rouge. That probably then means that you weren't nice and settled in with a good bit of context for two thousand and seven. Because be I I don't think there are many things better. Uh, on or, or on earth or something that I like wish other people could have lived vicariously than being like a 13 or 14 year old where you are smart enough to like understand how the game works and like the players on the field and yada, yada, yada. But you're also like not old enough to be distracted by anything else. Like you're not deal. I mean, like you can't drive anywhere. You can't do anything. You're not like trying to sneak out or drink or, or you can't like anytime you want to meet up with a girl, it has to be like facilitated through your parents. And so all you do is sit <laughs> on rivals in two, four, seven and just consume endless college football content. Um, but the, I guess the, that is sort of more context uh, to um, I guess the seed of that was planted um and I, I, the first game that I remember attending in Baton Rouge was, I, I know I went to some uh, prior to the 2000s or prior to the Saban era, but the first one was with my grandfather. I went to the UAB LSU game in 2000. Uh, and if LSU fans are aware, um, they did not win that game. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and so I, I do think I do find it rather ironic that um, that is the, the the first college football game that I do remember attending. That one didn't necessarily get me into it, but Nick, Sab- that- Nick Saban losing a home game in year one against an overmatched group of five team. I can't imagine. That's never happened. That's impossible. <laughs> Um, but I remember that year after they actually went with Rohan Davey and the uh, over just two all time college football, like pulled from the ether names with Rohan Davey and Josh Booty. Um, yes. but <laughs> Josh, uh, Rohan replaced Josh Booty in the second half of the, um, of the 2000 peach bowl and they ended up beating Georgia tech. And I remember after that, I was like, okay, I, uh, I'm about this. And then the 2001 season came around and I remember actively lobbying to, to try and go to games and whatnot. And so, um, which was good because the 2003 season aforementioned very, very fun in Baton Rouge. So that was my origin story. And you know, what's actually good. Most of you, I'm going to have like an origin and an exit story too. So we'll have like a nice bookend of, of uh, 20 years of Andrew caring about college football. There's no exit. Look, Andrew, once Georgia beats Clemson, like 38, 24 in week one, you're going to be all the way back in. And it's, Oh, absolutely. I'm already going to the game. So this is going to be, <laughs> Andrew, as as a uh, as nihilistic as you may come across, I you're gonna keep tuning in and saying they can't hurt me anymore. This will never happen, and something bad will happen, and you'll be like, I'm not actually hurt, but you'll never give it up. It's impossible. Yeah, I don't think I will, but I don't. I, I am. I am interested to find out how they could possibly hurt me more. This would be. This would be an interesting, uh, just an interesting social experiment that they could perform on me. Now, Rip, I think you actually have the funniest um, college football intro story. Uh, so do you mind regaling us with that one as we um, kind of start to wrap up here? Would love to. So I actually kind of have a few moments that stick out from uh, from immediate memory. When I was like five, I was going to Ole Miss games from the time I was essentially born. My parents had kind of the same tickets every year. We had our same like tailgating crew. So from the time I was, uh, I mean, I quite literally born. I think I went as like a seven month old um, into the crib one time. But like, so I have a couple. Like I was really, really, really young and vaguely remember. Eli Manning's debut, Ole Miss was playing West Virginia in the Music City Bowl in a game that was freezing-ass cold. It was actually Deuce McAllister, maybe his last game at Ole Miss. I'm actually pretty positive it was. Um, And Ole Miss was down like 45-17 and ended up losing the game like 52-44. Like Eli just got thrown in in the fourth quarter and scored five touchdowns. Uh, There are a couple in between. There are a couple of shootouts between Ole Miss and Texas Tech. That stick out where Cliff Kingsbury was the backup quarterback. Eli threw for like 500 and Texas Tech still won by three touchdowns in Oxford. But the one that sticks out, I guess, I was 0-1, which I was six at the time, I guess, going on seven. And I was, uh, you know, doing hood rat shit with my friends in the Grove, playing football, throwing bottle caps at people, all the fun stuff. <laughs> and exactly. About 45 minutes, we were all loading up. We all used to go walk to the games in, like, groups together, like uh, my family's friends and all that. So we're all, like, loading up to leave the tent to go to the game together. And I take a swig of this Coke, and all hell breaks loose. Uh, Unbeknownst to me, inside this Coca-Cola was a bee that I actually swallowed (laughs) and crawled down my throat and stung the living shit out of my tonsils, to which – as a six-year-old, I could not articulate that. One, I didn't know what was going on. Two, I couldn't really articulate it. Um, the only reason we knew that is I believe I actually immediately threw the bee back up. Um, but stung the living shit out of my tonsils. So I get, like, rushed across the street to the alumni house, which I think it's called, like, the Inn at Ole Miss now. But it's the hotel across the street. And pretty much just am given a questionable amount of Benadryl to help the swelling go down. And, like, the doctor friend that was in our tailgate was like, yeah, this kid will be out in 30 minutes max. He's probably not waking up for 10 or 12 hours. Well, it didn't work because I stayed up for the entirety of the game, and it wasn't your average football game. It was actually the Ole Miss seven-overtime game with Arkansas in 2001. And I made it up through the entirety, and after that I was like, you know what? I might have something here. Holy hell. Did you – 
So when you when they gave you the Benadryl, did they take you back into the game and you stayed awake the whole time, or did they put yeah, you so, up like in the hotel and you just watched on TV when they like they left you to fall asleep and they all went to the game? So memory's a little bit fuzzy because I'm six, but my the way my father explains it, we had not gone into the game yet, so we were all gathered up at the tent going to like make the pilgrimage from the Grove to Vaught Hemingway Stadium, which I would guess is about three four hundred yards tops, maybe further than that. But it's not far is my point. And so we were all gathered up to do that. And so as everyone's gathered up is when this happens. And the alumni house is across the street from where the tailgate is. Like I literally got like a couple hundred feet. So this happens. Everyone panics. And then I get taken over there. So I've not been in the stadium yet. And so the plan was my mom was going to take me home, like back to the apartment we were staying at. We were in one during football season every year. But I apparently was just adamant. I was essentially six-year-old me was like, no, fuck this. I want to go into the game. So my dad finally was like – and he was less than sober, which I, I was pretty much – I'll get into that in a minute. But I think I was like – the kids back in the day at this tent were the parents' airplane bottle liquor mules because they didn't pat down the kids going into the games because uh, they're all model citizens. <laughs> but anyway, my dad was like, you know what? Screw it. We'll just take this kid into the game. If he falls asleep, like we had a couple extra seats, like I could lay down on the bench – so he was like, you know what? We'll bring the kid in the game if he wants to go. And then I just went in and apparently never went down. And I have been alive and kicking ever since. Listen, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Ole Miss Arkansas is one of my favorite – I don't even know if you can call it a rivalry. But it's one of my favorite just like games to observe every year because it's just I, – I don't, I don't really think about state because I feel like Arkansas is more SEC than even state is. But Ole Miss and Arkansas, it's just like – you know what, so help me God, I will not be at the bottom of the West this year, and I'll kill you to make sure that doesn't happen. And it's just like you get that energy from both fan bases every year in that game. So the fact that it went to seven overtimes and I just know, like, little baby Rip was just, you know, zooted in the, in the crowd for that game. And, it just and, it adds to it. It was like my one claim to fame as a child. And like I went and I remember distinctly like telling that story at like show and tell or some shit as a first grader and my teacher being like this little asshole is making this up. And then like my mom being like, no, actually, this was true. But the craziest part about it was it was like we'll never see anything like this again. Arkansas went to seven overtimes with Kentucky in 2003. The two head coaches were Houston Nutt and Rich Brooks. It happened again two years later. (laughs) I think Arkansas is the straw that stirs this drink. Are you sure it's that just Houston nut that stirs it? Like yeah, himself? that's probably exactly what it is. Houston nut is the straw that stirs the drink. So was like Houston, Houston nut on the LSU or the A and M staff when they went to seven overtimes like three years ago? I appreciate he was a shadow analyst for A and M. No, 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 no. He was he was the guy that Kevin Paul punched in the face. <laughs> that would have made that so much better. Yeah, I. JP, you want to take us home? Yeah, look, look this is a this has been a great episode because um, we're just reminiscing about early two thousands SEC football. I will say that um, that O three LSU team. I, I guess I was kind of an LSU fan back then, um, not to the level that Andrew was. But Andrew, do you remember Jack Hunt? Brother, do I? <laughs> just the wildest, most violent. Oh. I, I doubt he would like he would not last a half of football. With the targeting so, rules. But so, he tried tried to do a murder every game. So there are two funny Jack Hunt stories. Number one, um, with Devery Henderson, when he caught the Bluegrass Miracle against Kentucky in 2002, uh, he was number eight and Devery Henderson was number nine. And Jim Hawthorne, in such a panic, called out Jack Hunt, Jack Hunt, as the player that ended up catching that pass, even though Jack Hunt was a white safety and Devery Henderson was a black <laughs> wide receiver. <laughs> um, and then, Jim, Hawth- Jim Hawthorne's only miss. Jim Hawthorne quite literally can't see color. It appears he's actually blind. Um, (laughs) But uh, number two is I remember I was at the LSU uh, Louisiana Tech game. I think it was the homecoming game in 2003. And LSU was up 50 or no, no, 49 nothing at halftime. And I think they ended up winning the game like 58 to 10 or something like it was like your typical uh, in-state rent-a-win game. But I was just 
furious that they didn't try to put up a hundred. Like, I just remember as like a nine or 10 year old being like <laughs> fuming at the end of the game because they, they refused to try and hang a hundred points on Louisiana tech. I felt like that Louisiana like tech's not to uh, mad about Louisiana tech's not an in-state school. You try to put a hundred on that. I feel like that's reserved for ULL and Tulane, you know, it's like the techs up there, they're minding their business in Ruston. They're not really poking the bear at all. Um, you know, but Tulane is a team you absolutely have to try that against. You can't do that against Tulane. It's because of Tulane that LSU is as good as they are. A university as bad as Tulane. You have to do it against them, not just the team, just the, the entire apparatus. Big lane. Got <laughs> If you want to talk about different college football fandoms, the week after Ole Miss lost to Jacksonville State, while well, coincidentally Houston Nutt was the head coach in 2010, they had to travel to play a road game the next week against Tulane in the Superdome. And I remember sitting there with my dad. I was in, like, middle school, and we're sitting in the Dome at 11 a.m., and no one else is in there, and I'm sitting there thinking, fuck, this would be great if this was a one-score game. And and, and was it, Rip? I think Ole Miss actually won, so they exceeded my expectations a week after I watched Tig Barksdale, a former Ole Miss recruit, just shoot the double birds at midfield after Jacksonville State won in overtime. So, you know, <laughs> call, we'll call it even on that. Our, our goal from here on out is to try to get Rip to mention the 2011 Jacksonville State game at least once in the episode. Oh, God. It's just the day. <laughs> Shockingly, that game is 11 a.m. too. Just the worst. <laughs> Folks, thanks for listening to Banjo College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Paul. Uh, join us again next week live on the Locker Room app or, if you're lazy, the next morning on Apple or Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. Make sure to rate us five stars. If you rate us four stars, then I'm going to cyber bully you on Twitter. Probably not, but I might. Y'all have a great evening. Talk to you soon.